Welcome to the September 12th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 17, verses 1 through 19, and the sermon is entitled, The Lord's Prayer, Part 1, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. It is so good to see you here and have you here. Before I start a sermon, I do want to say this. The observation came to me during the special music as the choir was singing, You know, the choir is here on a regular basis every Wednesday night. The choir is practicing under Tom's leadership. I'm so thankful for that group that meets from 8.15 to 9.15, polishing up the music and asking the Lord to bless us and to bless that ministry. But I want to tell you this. When we sing in that loft on Sunday morning, it's like God gets hold of that choir, and it doesn't sound like the same choir. Praise God, the Lord takes control. Praise God for that. It's an amazing transformation when you hear the Holy Spirit move into that music and speak to us. He speaks to us in the choir as well as there and out there in streaming. But praise God for the music of the church and for the people of the music of the church. One very important part of our ministry. So as we gather here today, another very important part of our ministry is studying the truth of God's Word. I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. This is a a great chapter as we open it today. We're continuing in this marathon study that is carrying us through the Gospel of John. It's going to carry us through somewhere around the first of the year. And as uh, the longest lived of Jesus' disciples, John is writing down a very brief account under the inspiration of God of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He does not write down every word and every activity and every miracle of Jesus' life, but he gives us the high points of Jesus' life. John, of course, had literally walked with Jesus as a young man in his 20s or 30s. Some 50 years had passed from the resurrection, from the ascension to heaven. And John, under, again, the inspiration of God, sits to write this account of the life of Jesus Christ, this gospel of the Son of God. This is a spiritually and emotionally stirring book. This stirs us at the very core of our being as we see how the Holy Spirit moves to us and through us as we read the account of Jesus Christ, God's Son. So in chapters 13 and 14, let me set the stage here a bit. Chapters 13 and 14, Jesus meets with his disciples in a room That is a very private setting, separate from all the other people who are meeting on this night, a Thursday night of Passover, as Israel celebrates the Passover lamb. And as uh, everyone is celebrating the Passover, Jesus is celebrating it with these disciples that belong to him. Not only does he celebrate Passover with them, drawing from the Passover meal, the Lord's Supper that we continue to celebrate to this day, he also washes his disciples' feet that night, showing them the true service toward us of God Almighty in humility coming to save us and then saying, now we who are saved are to move into the world to serve others and to see others know the gospel of the living Lord Jesus Christ. He also that night in that upper room Uh, dismisses his betrayer, Judas Iscariot. At the end of chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, Jesus then says, Arise, we're going to move out of this room, and we're going to walk on. And he takes his disciples into the night, 
walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane where he is going to be betrayed, where he's going to meet the Roman soldiers, where he's going to spend time with God the Father in prayer, moving toward the Garden of Gethsemane. That walk is captured as they move from the room, the private room, to the gate of the Garden of Gethsemane. We see that walk captured in John chapter 15, verse 1, through John chapter 17, verse 26. So today we're opening chapter 17, and I believe that Jesus and his group of disciples are now very close to the gateway into the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, as chapter 18 opens, verse 1, it says they simply cross over a stream of water and walk through the gate right into the garden. So at the beginning of chapter 17, where we are today, outside of the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, gentlemen, 11 disciples, one had been dismissed as betrayer, 11 disciples, gentlemen, let's pray. And chapter 17 is the prayer of Jesus Christ with those disciples standing outside of the garden. All of chapter 17 is praying to God the Father in the presence of his disciples. You'll notice if you have a red-letter Bible that short of a couple little introductory words at the beginning of chapter 17, all of that chapter, red-letter, words of Jesus Christ, praying to God the Father. Now, I want to correct a title given to one prayer that Jesus prayed. In Matthew chapter 6, Luke chapter 11, Jesus gives a model prayer to his disciples. You know that prayer well. It begins, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, over the years, people have given that prayer a title that is not a biblical title, but that prayer has become known as the Lord's Prayer. Actually, that's not completely accurate. While the Lord prayed the prayer for sure, it serves as a model prayer. It serves as the prayer to lead his disciples and us in how to pray a full prayer, a proper prayer before God Almighty. This is how we ought to pray. So really, when it comes to Jesus' prayer in those Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we see a prayer that's really the people's prayer, our prayer. But when we come to John chapter 17, this prayer is really more accurately called the Lord's Prayer. It's also called the High Priestly Prayer. This, friends, listen, is the greatest prayer that has ever been prayed on earth. This is the greatest prayer that has ever been prayed on earth. What we study today is the very holy word of God. It falls into three sections. First of all, within this prayer that's encapsulated in John 17, falling into three sections, first of all, Jesus prays for himself. The second part of the prayer, he prays for his disciples, those 11 men who are standing with him outside of the garden that night. And then the third section of the prayer, he prays for us. He prays for all believers of all the ages that we're going to follow the Lord God. I wish I could cover the whole prayer in one sermon, but you like lunch much too well for me to cover the whole prayer in one sermon today. But we're going to study two sections, the first two sections of the prayer today in verses 1 through 19. Jesus praying for himself, and then Jesus praying for his 11 disciples. So let's begin with verses 1 through 5. John 17, verses 1 through 5. This is Jesus' prayer for himself. I want you to remember this. A prayer for self 
is not necessarily a selfish prayer. We need to pray for our lives. We need to pray for our submission before God. And Jesus is asking the Lord the Father to glorify himself through Jesus the Son. Jesus in this prayer for self is not really pointing to himself, but rather to the Father, pointing for the Father's will to be done, for glory to come to the Father through the Son on the night before the old rugged cross. Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven as if he is looking at God the Father in the face and he prays this prayer. I want you to notice before I read these five verses that this prayer is full of glory. In five verses, there are five mentions of the word glory. So let's look at these five verses. Jesus praying for himself in the most precious prayer that has ever been prayed on earth. Chapter 17 of John, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hours come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. I have glorified Thee on earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. Jesus beginning this lengthy prayer, these verses, praying for himself. I want you to remember this as we look at these verses, that Jesus' desire is to glorify his Father, to bring glory and honor and blessing to God the Father by that which he is going to do to follow the Father's will. He begins by saying, Father, my hour has come. D-Day is here. This is the hour of my cross. And I ask, Father, that you glorify my sacrifice. Use me. Bless me. Glorify my death that others might have life. Use what I am doing, Lord, to bring glory to yourself and to bring others to the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes on to say, And Father, as I bear the cross, hanging between heaven and earth, I glorify you. The God who is willing to die that his creation might live. As I hang on the cross, Lord God, my Father, I am glorifying you, willing to lay down life that those who need to be forgiven may be saved. You know, I often think of those words of the old hymn, and as I pondered through and prayed through and searched Scripture through these words, those words came to me again and again. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Jesus prays, I die to give eternal life to as many as will come to me in faith and in trust and in surrender, giving their life to me, surrendering their heart to me, accepting me as Lord and Savior. Now, I want you to notice these very important words of verse 3. And this is life eternal that they, meaning believers, that believers may know thee, the only true God. Listen, Jesus did not 
die on the cross that you and I might buy a ticket to heaven and sit in the train station and wait for the train to come to transport us to heaven. We're not supposed to all through our life stand in the station and twiddle our thumbs just waiting for the train to arrive to transport us up. That's not the purpose that the Lord Jesus saves us in our lives. But rather, Jesus died for us to know the love of God. Eternal life is not a ride to heaven. It's a relationship with the Father. It's giving our life that we might know Him in a deeper way day by passing day. That we will decrease and He will increase in our lives. We don't wait for heaven. We witness until heaven. That makes sense? We don't just sit and wait for heaven. We witness until we get to heaven. Our lives are to be filled with activity and ministry and outreach as the Lord uses us before we get there. It is God's expectation that we're going to be in this Word that we're getting to know Him in a deeper way day by day. He expects us to worship Him. He expects us to praise Him. And isn't it wonderful when we gather with praise on our hearts that we feel the inrush of the Holy Spirit among us? We have felt it today. When we worship Him, we know He is evident with us. And indeed, His Spirit resides in our hearts and in our worship. He expects us to be in ministry. He expects us to act like Him. He expects us to reach out to others as Jesus reached to others. You don't just get your heaven ticket and sit down and wait in a rocking chair to come to know God. It's a life of activity. It's a life of ministry. It's a life of outreach. It's a life of getting to know Him. As James says in his little book, Chapter 1, verse 22, we are doers of the Word and not hearers only. We have something to do with the talents that He's given us. We have something to do with the gifts of life that He's given us that we are to serve Him and love Him. So also within Jesus' prayer, He lays out His eternal nature. Look at verses 4 and 5. Chapter 17, verses 4 and 5, I have glorified Thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. First of all, I want you to notice that when Jesus speaks these words, he's speaking as if everything is done. The cross is still before him, but he is so committed to going to the cross, he's speaking in the, in the tense of, it's already done. He is so set on going to the cross, there was no turning back, there was no turning around, there was no giving up. He was going to make it a done deal. He's speaking as if it's already done here. He is so committed to it. But Jesus didn't die so that we could just relax in a rocking chair. He died so that we might live for him. And Jesus says he had the glory of heaven even before the universe was created. I want you to see that. But he came to this old earth. He he laid down his robes of glory, of heavenly knowledge, and he laid it all down that he might come to this world of sin and trouble and save us by way of the cross, the perfect Lamb of God who came to the earth that he might save us by taking our sin to his cross as the perfect Lamb. And when that work is complete, when the cross is finished, Jesus looked forward to returning back to the heavenly glory and the heavenly authority from which he came 
as He took on flesh to live among us. Well, then Jesus moves to the second phase of His prayer here. He prays for the 11 men who are standing with Him right here at the gate of Gethsemane. All they have to do is cross over a little brook of water and they'll be inside of the gate. But as they stand outside, He prays for these 11. I want us to read that prayer. It's rather lengthy, but stay with me. Verses 6 through 19. Listen to these words and read this as a prayer. Don't read it just reading words on a page. Let's read it as a prayer. Verse 6. Jesus prays, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come, come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. May God add his blessing to the reading of this portion of his beautiful and precious prayer. As Jesus prays for his disciples, he says, Father, you gave these men to me. You plucked them out of all the multitudes of the world, and you gave me these men, these 11, and they have kept your word. What a compliment. These 11 have kept your word. If there's one thing that we should desire and long to hear when we get to heaven is Jesus saying, thank you for keeping my word. Thank you for living my word. Thank you for standing on every word of the truth. Thank you that you did not compromise my word. Jesus gave that compliment in his prayer to his disciples. We long for that compliment, amen? We want to be true to his word. And in verse 8, Jesus says, My disciples now know that I am your son, Father. They now know and they believe that I came from heaven as the lamb, as the son sent by you. These men 
now standing with me understand the relationship of father and son and how much I want to honor you and glorify you. And they know now that I left heaven. They know now, Father, that I left your side, that I might come to this earth, that I might come to them, and that I might save people through the cross. Now, I want you to notice verse 9. Jesus says, I pray for these men. Underline those words, I pray for them. How beautiful that is. I pray for them. At this moment, Jesus says, I'm not praying for all the people of the world. I'm praying just for these 11. I'm praying for these men that you plucked out of the world and gave to me. I'm praying for them. And I pray, Father, that you plant these 11 men all over the world, lead them, protect them, that they might change the world through the love of Jesus Christ. Use their lives for one purpose only. Don't miss this. Jesus says in his prayer to his Father, use the lives of these 11 men for one specific purpose alone. And here's the defining word for the purpose of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, as they live, Lord, God's purpose for all disciples, God's purpose for these 11 is in verse 10. Look at that verse, 17, 10. All mine are thine and thine are mine. Listen, and I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. Jesus is glorified through their lives. Our life's purpose can be put into two words. He gave it to his disciples this night of this prayer. He gives those words to us now. The purpose of our life, defined in two words, is glorify Jesus. That's what you and I are to live to do as believers in this Savior, is to glorify Jesus. That's the purpose of our life. That's what we are to be doing every single day. Now, with chapter 17, verse 11, Jesus prays, My physical time on earth is coming to a close. I'm walking toward the cross with every step. I'm no longer going to be walking on earth, but as I come back to heaven, I am leaving these men on earth. My walk on earth is just about done, but I'm continuing to leave them here in their walk here. I want you to notice a key factor when believers live together on earth. Look at the end of verse 11. Jesus says that they may be as one as we are, as as. God the Father and God the Son are one. Jesus says, my prayer is that my believers will walk together and minister together as one, that they may be as one. So as Jesus is bound to his Father, we are bound and connected to one another. We are fellow believers. We are each one individually as believers indwelt with the Holy Spirit And Jesus says, keep my people together as one. Bind them together that they might minister together as one. Listen, there's not one word in your Bible about an isolated believer carrying on ministry alone. There's not one word in your Bible about some believer who is an island unto himself carrying out ministry alone. The Bible circles around the truth that we are connected with the Holy Spirit living in us, that we are to minister as one together, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we have this common bond of walking into the world and coming together to worship, that we might lift up Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
There's not one word in the Bible about an isolated believer. There's not one word in the Bible about a believer who draws away from the church on a personal level to do his own personal ministry. It's not there. Wherever you find Christians in the Word, you will find them connected. You will find them together. You will find them working together, serving together. Sometimes they had to work out their problems together. Read 1 Corinthians, read Galatians. The church had its problems. But Paul never said to any Christian, withdraw from the church because it's got problems. But Paul said, work out your problems, work out your needs, and continue to serve me because you are one and you're to work together under the grace of the living Lord Jesus Christ. Still true today, no Christian is an island. We, God's people, still need each other. We need to worship together. We need to be able to be together in service out there in the world. Now, it's true, you can worship on a tree stump out there in the woods by yourself. Absolutely. How many times have we had a private moment somewhere and God spoke to us? I've had that happen so many, so many times. Certainly, you can worship as a believer alone. But true worship is never complete until we worship together. True worship is never complete until we're together in worship. The church is essential as our binding fellowship. It is the organization that Jesus created and placed that Christians might have each other, that we truly may be as one. It's the central organization of the church that we work together, that we worship together, that we pray together. It's worth our effort to build up the church. It's worth our time to be a part of the church. You need the church, and the church needs you. We work mutually together. Now, let me give you a major truth as Jesus prays for his disciples at the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't want you to miss this. Look at chapter 17, verses 15 and 18. Verse 15, Jesus says in his prayer, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. Now look at verse 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. His 11. He's praying with them right here at the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, just as you sent me into the world, I now am sending these 11 into the world. I'm commissioning them to go into the world. So Jesus says, my disciples are to live in the world. They're not to live of the world. They're not to live in the sin of the world, but they're to live in this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So disciples of Jesus were not directed at any moment to establish some monastery and draw out of the world. You'll never find that in the Bible. But rather, Jesus says, just as the Father sent me to live in the sin of the world and go to the cross to redeem it, we too are to live in the world to take Jesus there. We are witnesses. We are representatives. We take the gospel where it needs to go. So Jesus says of his disciples, they'll, they'll walk in the worldly marketplace. And my disciples will walk in the crooked paths of the world. And my disciples are going to walk in the lost cities of the world. And as ministers, what this points us to, as he did his own disciples that night as he prayed, is that we are to stay in the sinful flow of the world, but we're to walk above that as believers in the Lord Jesus. 
we're not to pick up the sin like Lent, but rather we're supposed to live above it as ministers of the gospel. This is an extremely important moment. These disciples were commissioned by Jesus not to pick up the sin of the cities that they would enter, but rather they would not become worldly, but they would walk in the world and above its sin that they could give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their call was to take Jesus to the world without stooping to live in the sin of the world. So are we. That is our call. Verse 18, Jesus says, Just as I came into the world out of heaven to get my hands dirty in the outreach of God, so too I send my disciples into this dirty world that they might live for me, that they might glorify me and in turn glorify the Father. That remains our mission. That remains our call. It remains our purpose. We don't pull the gospel out of the hell-bound world, but rather we take the love of Christ into the world. As the old saying goes, we're the Bible that the world is reading. And we need to go into the world with the gospel of the living Lord, not draw out of it. I read some words of a famous Italian general. I won't tell you his name because I can't pronounce it. But I read these words, and they were very moving to me uh, as he was bolstering the troops. And he said this, Let him who loves his country with his heart and not merely with his lips follow me. That's a great statement. What a call to Christians. If we love the Lord only with our lips, only with what we say, you know what we'll say? We need to send somebody into the world to take the gospel there. We need to send somebody. Somebody needs to go. When you love him with your lips, that's what you'll say. If you love him with your heart, you'll say, Lord, send me to the world with the gospel. I want to love you with my heart. I want to follow you into the world. And I want to deliver the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in the paths where you would send me to go. What a call to Christians. Of course, today is September 12th. And yesterday we commemorated 9-11, September 11th, 2001. And as those buildings in New York City fell to the ground after those planes rammed into them, Thousands and thousands of people ran away from the rubble that was falling out of the sky. And thousands of people took shelter and refuge getting away from what was happening in New York City that day. But there were hundreds of first responders and paramedics and firemen and policemen who were running into the fray to pull the lost out. Thousands ran away, but hundreds ran in. May we be some of the hundreds that run into the world to take the gospel there. Because there are people dying out there. And without sugarcoating the word of God, there are people who are going to hell out there. And if anybody is commissioned to run into that burning building, it's you and me that we take the gospel there and we risk ourselves that we go where the gospel needs to be. Praise God for those of you who are first responders and those who are willing to take a public office and those who are willing to take the name of Jesus to the workplace and to the classroom. God bless you. You're walking into and charging into where he needs to go. Jesus said, I am sending my men into the fray of the world and it goes for us as well today. We go into 
the world. Will you, this moment, Christian, say, Lord, I don't want to serve you with my lips. I don't want to say, Lord, you let somebody else give to the church. You let somebody else go to the lost. You let somebody else take a mission trip. You let somebody else teach Sunday school. You let somebody else hold the babies. You let somebody else minister to the young families. Let somebody else do that. Because that's simply serving him with your lips. How many of us will say, Lord, take my talent, take my life, take my passion, and send me in? How many of us will say that? There's the mark of a true church. Those who are willing to go in. Those who are willing to serve with our heart. And those who are willing to take the gospel out. Will you commit your life to that? The the Lord God has some appointments for you this week, I guarantee you. Will you go in with the gospel? One last thing. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this invitation is not for somebody else. This invitation is for you. You need him. If you're streaming with us today and you've never come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, you need him. And so many people put it off and say, I'll do this another day, I'll do it another time. Listen, today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day of your forgiveness. Today is the day eternal life can begin for you. If you will simply come and say, Lord Jesus, I believe with all of my heart that you died on a cross to take my sin away. I believe with all of my heart that you rose from the grave to give me heaven and eternal life. I come to you today. If you you are here in this house, come to this altar. Take a pastor by the hand. If you're in your own home or in your car, you can come to Jesus right now at this moment by accepting him. I pray we will come. Let's pray together. Our Father God, I was moved yesterday when I watched part of the memorial services for the 911 victims and those who charged in. But it reminded me, Lord, that you asked us not to stand on the fringes or run from the danger or run from the sin or establish a monastery that we draw from the world. You ask us as your believers, just as you asked those 11 disciples outside of Gethsemane, Lord, I, Lord God, my Father, I'm sending them in. Today, Father, you're sending us in as believers. Help us go with courage. Help us to go to lay our lives on the line. Help us to go with surrender. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, but I pray for myself, Lord. I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. I pray for myself that we will have the courage to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us. One by one, may we recommit our lives to that. Bless that one who needs your Savior. Bless that one who needs a church home. Bless that one who needs a healing. You meet us here. You meet us now. We thank you in Jesus' name.